Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of November 19, 2017. We hit a home run with KCB this weekend at the 44th Conference and Convention of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Informative workshops and speakers, exhibits, good food, great volunteers, and best of all, good friends, all combined for an exciting two days. There are some new faces on the KCB board. Elections are for five directors in odd-numbered years. Directors may serve two consecutive two-year terms. Three of the current directors, Natalie Couch, Elaine Weisbard, and Cisco Slusher were unable to run again because they have served their two consecutive terms. Shirley Stivers chose not to seek another term as director. We send out many thanks to them for their service on the KCB board and to the Kentucky Council of the Blind as a whole. The five new directors on the KCB board for the next two years are Cheryl Lott from Owensboro, Josh Gentry, Jonathan McCarty, Amanda Salm, and Bill Wright from Louisville. We should note that, after this election, five of the 18 seats currently comprising the KCB board are filled by individuals between the ages of 21 and 40. KCB may present three major awards each year as follows. The William A. Ruth Award is presented to a KCB member for outstanding longtime service to the organization. This year's recipient was Chastity Starkey, and she was nominated by Bill Wright in recognition of her volunteer service to KCB over the past eight years. The James Carl Dotson Award is presented to an individual, organization, or agency that has provided outstanding community service to the blind or visually impaired. This year's Dotson Award was presented to the Kentucky Talking Book Library and was accepted by Barbara Penagor, director of the library. KTBL was nominated by Shirley Stivers from Bellevue. The Rose and Lewis Kane Award is presented to an individual, organization, or agency that has provided outstanding advocacy for blind and visually impaired people. Sue Ellen Milo presented the award to Heidi Casey, her supervisor at the Jeffersonville, Indiana Census Bureau, for Heidi's outstanding support of the many visually impaired employees at the Census Bureau. Thanks to the outstanding volunteers at this convention, Betty Boggess from the Savvy Chapter in Owensboro, Patty Cox and her family in the kitchen, Debbie Persons, Sister Agnes Coveney, and the JW volunteers who were just everywhere, making things go smoothly. Thanks to Darren Harbour, who made a triple play. He conducted the How to Wow the Crowd workshop on Friday afternoon. He served as our wild and crazy auctioneer at the Grand Slam auction on Saturday evening, where we raised almost $1,500 for KCB and its chapters. And his Imagine Blind Players entertained us with a presentation of the Neil Simon Play California Suite on Friday evening. Thanks to Matt Selm, who conducted the Building Team Spirit Workshop on Friday afternoon, and to Matt and Amanda Selm for conducting the Facebook Live Workshop on Saturday morning. There are many others to thank, and we'll be telling you about them in future sound prints. Beth Kuhn, Commissioner of the Kentucky Workforce Development Cabinet, attended our Friday evening All-Star Dinner. 
Her remarks about the future of the Kentucky Office for the Blind were very informative. We bring Beth's remarks to you on page 2. Keeping records of meetings, activities, and events is important. Our memories are sometimes not always accurate, and with time, photos can fade, old tapes can break, papers can be lost or destroyed. The Preserving the Record Book workshop on Friday afternoon included remarks by Michael Hudson, director of the American Printing House Museum, Brian Bertusi, studio manager of the Kentucky Talking Book Library, David Trott from the ACB History Committee, and Rick Bogus, secretary of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. In the workshop, Michael Hudson emphasized preservation of photos, and Brian Bartusi shared his knowledge of the digitization of old tapes. Michael and Brian's remarks are on page 3, and on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Good evening and thank you for the opportunity to be here with you tonight. It's really an honor to be with you. And thank you to Tanisha for stepping in at the last moment. Um, Becky is not able to be here. She has had some health issues this week as, had her, as has her husband. Um, but she sends her regards as does Cora McNabb. I know many of you are quite familiar with Cora as well. Uh, I am going to give Tanisha a pass. So she is not, um, I gave her her 14 pages of prepared remarks. <laughs> And I was hoping she would memorize them with the 10 minutes I gave her to memorize them, but apparently she was unsuccessful. So I'm going to give remarks tonight, um, and you guys check in with Tanisha afterwards, and maybe next time, you know, she'll have her 14 pages of prepared remarks for you next year. So Carla, you have your speaker next year, all designated. It's Tanisha and the 14 pages of prepared remarks. Um, and the other thing you need to know is I, I believe, tell me if this is correct, Debbie, I'm the only person standing between you and Darren and the blind players. Is that true? Another speaker? There's a few others? I can be pretty confident in saying, um, having met Darren for approximately 13 seconds, he's going to be way better than I am. So enjoy Darren. I told him he was probably going to go far past my bedtime, but I got his card. I know he's got a bunch of shows coming up, so I heard that's a terrific show you guys are in store for tonight. Um, so I, I think Carla told me I had up to maybe a half hour. I don't think I'll go that long unless you all have questions, which I'm happy to take. But I want to spend a few minutes um, dwelling on one word in the title you gave me for my remarks and then just update you on a few things that are happening in our cabinet and specifically in the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation and the Office for the Blind. The word I want to dwell on is future. Um, you gave me the term the future of services for the blind and you know in where I sit as commissioner of the Department for Workforce Investment I would see that as the future of vocational services specifically and work-related services but I want to think with you for a moment about the future of work 
because I think we're at this really incredible time, an exciting time that I see as someone who oversees the Office for the Blind, the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, the Office of Employment and Training. Um, we are entering such a period of lightning fast transformation in jobs. The jobs that many of us and our friends and relatives and neighbors do will not exist in five years. And that's scary. And the good news is a lot of new jobs are going to take their place. And the other good news for many of us in this room is those are technology-enabled jobs. And it's going to enable many of us with, who are blind and visually impaired and have other disabilities to come to the workforce in new ways that we never had the chance to do before. And so I think that's incredibly exciting. I think it gives us a job to do together, which is to prepare ourselves and our clients and our friends and neighbors for the jobs of tomorrow, and to do that with the kinds of services that we offer in the McDowell Center, in the Office for the Blind, in the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, and to think about assistive technology and orientation mobility, everything we do together as preparing people for the jobs of the future in a really meaningful way. So I want, as we think about sort of the future of the agencies, I'm getting asked a lot of questions about the future of blind services in Kentucky with OVR and OFB, and I'll talk about those. But I think the future of work is something, and what, how many of you have jobs? Raise your hand if you have a job. Anyone think that in five years you might like to have or see yourself having a different job? And if your boss is in the room, you know, just try not to think about that. So how do we work in our own space as partners in your organization when you think about employment opportunities and employment services, and you think about the new technology coming around the corner, when you think about all the ways that we provide services together, what's that going to look like? So as we ask questions and look behind us at how have we structured our services, how have we delivered services, how did we used to do things, what did it used to look like, those are really important questions. And interesting and important questions is how will it look like, what should it look like, and how are we working going forward together to provide really excellent opportunities for ourselves and our kids and our grandkids and our friends and neighbors to do good work in Kentucky. And so that's what brings me, we were talking at dinner about sort of where do we live and what's our commute and everything. That's what brings me on my commute every day from this town to Frankfurt and back because there's lots of great work going on there to try and make that come true to make those job opportunities really happen for the people we serve in our communities. 
So um, in talking and corresponding with Carla about this event and, and specifically some things that are going on in our world right now, just wanted to share some specific updates with all of you about what's happening in the Office for the Blind and Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. Um, we had been engaging in, what, what was it, Carla, since... The spring we've been talking to you guys probably. I feel like 2017 we've had so much going on it's just a blur. Um, but we've been having many conversations about our future and how we can continue to deliver effective services for those jobs of the future and do it with the resources that we have and provide the kinds of services that provide the kinds of specialized services that we need and expect to provide to individuals who are blind and have visual impairments. So I want to just say out of the gate that it is our plan and expectation that McDowell, with the specialized services we provide there, will continue to exist and provide those specialized services, and that the blind services that we provide with specialized counselors who have that expertise and ability and specialize in orientation and mobility, all the things that we know that you count on us to do will continue to operate. Um, a few things that have already recently occurred and a few personnel things that I just want to update you on. We previously, I, so I'm the commissioner of something called the Department of Workforce Investment. It has three agencies and we've just completed sort of one part of an organizational change where all the people who do fiscal and budget management and grants management have been moved into one unit. And that is being called the Dep Division of Fiscal and Budget Integrity, now known as the FBI, which we're kind of getting a little kick out of. <laughs> and that's going to be at the commissioner's office level. And so that has, is happening now, basically. So we're going to have, and it sort of makes sense when I say this kind of obvious, instead of having fiscal and budget people in three different places that we would have them in one. So that's part one of what we want to do in order to provide the kind of future employment services that we need to provide and at the same time operate a more efficient and effective agency. And then in addition, over the course of 2018, we're going to come back to your organization and others and do additional planning that will ultimately lead to us planning to complete a merger of the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation and the Office for the Blind by next fall that absolutely preserves specialized services, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, for people who are blind and have visual impairments. And so that schedule, starting after the first of the year, we'll be working with the advocacy organizations on um, naming a combined agency and an organizational chart and on coming up with a shared order of selection and how that will look, because right now we define that differently between the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation and the Office for the Blind. We'll be holding public hearings that will plan to engage with your organization and others to make sure that that happens in an inclusive way. Um, submit a plan to the Rehab Services Administration, which of course we're required to do, and ultimately by sometime next summer or early fall, hope that that process is completed. And what's driving that process is our desire to make investments in the future. 
And in order for us to do that, really protect the um, integrity, really, and growth of the agency. The other really good news that I have that's going on now, um, I'm asked a lot about order of selection and how Kentucky is one of the states that doesn't pull down its full federal match. Do you guys, any of you in this room know what that means when I say that? Is that a familiar concept to you? So for I've been in Kentucky for five years. Um, we actually have the business community activated on this issue. Um, in particular, Amazon. You may have heard. Anyone use Amazon in this room? You heard of Amazon? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyone know that Amazon is building an airline up in northern Kentucky? You heard about this? 15,000 people they want to hire in northern Kentucky. And they are very interested and very dedicated to the employment of people with disabilities. And so Amazon is contacting the governor's office. So we have, from a personnel standpoint, a couple of new people that I wanted to tell you about that we're very excited about. In particular, um, we have a new director for Kentucky Business Enterprises, or our blind vendor program. Um, and his name is Corey Markham. He started yesterday. Um, our director of office for the blind is named Cora McNabb. So we now have Cora and Corey. So needless to say, I'm happily referring to them from now on as the core team. Because we have Cora and Corey. So this is a great day in the life of the office for the blind because we have the core team in place. Uh, we also have new fiscal staff. Uh, a woman named Tiffany Smither that just joined us. And we have a lot of open positions, so please spread the word. We're hiring voc rehab counselors in Elizabethtown and Bowling Green. We're hiring uh, voc rehab assistants in McDowell and a program manager in McDowell, an assistant in Lexington. We really need an orientation and mobility instructor in McDowell. In fact, if anyone in this room wants to be an O&M instructor in McDowell, we are posting it for not one, not two, not three, but four times. So we're really needing and would appreciate any suggestions that you have about O&M instructors because we are really needing additional capacity in that area and a work experience pos position at McDowell. So we are understaffed at McDowell, but investing at McDowell. So once again, not in any way walking away from the necessity and specialized services at McDowell. Also wanted to let you know that because the time frame of the merger is longer than we had originally anticipated, we are, and it's just hit the airwaves this week, um, we're going to be hiring a new executive director for the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, and we'll be conducting a national search for that. Um, Becky Cabe, uh, when I approached her about stepping in on an interim basis, I referred to it as her opportunity to engage in National Lampoon summer vacation with me. And uh, the summer, as you may have noted, is over since it's Thanksgiving. And so we, and she's probably one to two years away from retirement and is not going to be putting her hat in the ring for that job. And so we're conducting a search for a director, an executive director of OVR. So I did want to let all of you know that as well. I think that's an opportunity to talk up. I go back to my earlier comments about the future of work, 
employer engagement and technology, really someone who can help us lead the agency into the next generation of services, which is, I think, what we're after. Last thing I would really um, point to, I, Cora and Becky both this week were at the national um, CSAVR meetings in Greenville. Really a lot of excitement, I think, about career pathways in particular and pre-employment transition services for young people. Those are both baked into the WIOA law and those are opportunities, once again, I circle back to that concept of the future of work. So we have work going on in Kentucky right now that's incredibly encouraging about getting people who have disabilities, who are blind, who are visually impaired into career pathways in technology, in healthcare, in different fields. That is new work that really has to expand we're going to push ourselves beyond only our traditional models of one-on-one -on -one rehab, coaching, and career assistance into a career pathway model. We have, we're one of four states, so Kentucky is rocking a pilot model that I think will grow in the coming year. We've got probably two or three more years. Do you remember Tanisha left in the case grant? I think we're year two in a five-year grant. And so that's another opportunity for, I think, us to partner. How do we get more people who are blind and visually impaired into career pathways and bring them into that next generation of jobs? So I'm happy to take any questions. I'm really encouraged about the level of employer engagement that we have right now. Uh, I've, I think I said this, only been in Kentucky five years. I think I have. we have even though the budget, we were talking about it at dinner, the budget outlook in Kentucky and nationally is very bleak in a lot of ways for the kinds of programs and services we all care about. But when we have businesses stepping up and saying that the employment of people with disabilities is important to us, that is huge progress and I think will do us well. So I'm cautiously optimistic that we will, I'm the most optimistic I've been since I've been here that we will get a shot at our full match this year. That will help us preserve the services that we offer, preserve the level of passion and commitment that people like Tanisha give us every day, preserve our partnerships with you, and get all of our people ready for that next generation of jobs. So thank you all for the chance and the invitation to be here, and I look forward to working with you. It's been a busy year, 2017. I think 2018 is going to, like, knock it out of the park. To use a baseball analogy, thank you very much. Page three. Thank you all. I'm glad to be here again to talk to you all. Um, I'm not going to take too much time uh, because we have a lot of people on our on our panel, we want to make sure that everybody has a chance to to uh, present. Um, but I am going to uh, answer any questions that might come up uh, um, as we as we go on through the session. Um, as you all know, I'm the museum director at the American Printing House for the Blind. We um, have been, uh, I guess, the printing house has pretty much been collecting um, its own history since it was founded um, in 1858. Next year in January, we're going to celebrate our 160th anniversary. 
Um, but we have lots of different kinds of materials. Of course, we have lots of books. Uh, and the earliest uh, raised letter, the, the earliest books that were made to be used by folks that are blind, visually impaired are in raised letters, not in Braille. And uh, those, those books were uh, never intended to last for 160 years. Just like most textbooks, right? They were made, they were expected to be used in a classroom, and then eventually they'd wear out and you'd throw them away, right? And really, if you think about it, all kinds of things that we collect in our, in our house, in our homes, uh, the things that we, we remember, are, are not really made to last forever. But we want them to last forever, don't we? Um, and so there are some simple things that, that we can do uh, to make the things that we have, that we collect, last longer than they would ordinarily. And that's really what I want to talk about just briefly for a few minutes. Uh, so, so what causes things, stuff, junk, artifacts, objects, precious treasures, what causes these things to, you know, go away on us, right? It's really pretty simple. I'm going to throw a big $20 word that I like to use, Adam. It's called entropy. Anybody ever heard of entropy? Entropy basically is this, oh, it comes from some chemistry class I took at some point. It's this idea that everything wants to go back to its most basic state, right? So a mountain wants to be sand. And um, everything that we have uh, in our homes is all being affected by entropy in one way or another. It's all deteriorating. I, that, that's one thing that really bothers museum people like me a lot is that, you know, when you're sitting in your own house, you can hear your home rotting away around you. Um, but so, so you know, the, the books that we have on our shelves, the, the photographs that we have, the letters, the love letters that we got in college from Joyce, who was our first girlfriend, um, the glass vase on the shelf, that's uh, an heirloom that we got from our grandmother, um, our wedding china, our wedding dress. All of those things are deteriorating in one way or another. And if we want to slow down that deterioration, and really that's all we can do is slow down the deterioration, we can't actually stop it, um, then there's some simple things we have to understand about what the forces of entropy are. These are the bad guys, right? These are the superhero bad guys that are going that are up against that we're up against. So one is light. Okay, if you take a Courier Journal and you put it in the back uh, window of a car on a hot day, uh, it will be perfectly white at the beginning of the day, and by the end of the day, it will be brown because the paper that they make the courier out of is has got a lot of a material called lignin in it and uh, when it gets hit by light it starts releasing acid and it starts breaking down the substance of the paper so light can be a can be a source of, of deterioration um, water obviously is another source you know so a lot of times you know we have floods if we leave our things down in the basement or if the roof gets torn off in a hurricane we might get rain there or we might just have a, loop, a, a roof leak we get water on our things and that starts that starts the thing deteriorating high humidity we suffer a lot from here in in uh, central kentucky and uh and so you know when you have really wet summers and then you have a really dry winter that um 
anything that you have in your house, you know, it's going to expand and contract and expand and contract as the humidity changes and those the changes in humidity cause things to deteriorate faster. Uh, bugs, right? Silverfish, termites, moths, all of these kinds of things love to eat the stuff that we have in our homes and they get in there and if we don't protect them from them, they start to eat them. And um, finally, there's you, okay? You are a force of entropy, right? If you have uh, your grandmother's vase that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation and you have it proudly displayed on a shelf in your house and then you bump into the shelf and it falls to the ground, it breaks into a million pieces, right? So handling and how the way we handle things is another force force of entropy. So how, um, just, just some simple guidelines on how we preserve things. Um, and one is to... Uh, avoid storing things in attics and in basements. Um, attics and basements are the places that we have that are extra in our house, right? We're not living in our attic and we're not living in our basement and so that's some place that we have that we can put things that we don't need right now. Unfortunately, attics and basements are also some of the worst environmental places that we have in our house. Um, the kinds of materials that you surround your precious things with are important. Like a lot of times you might put things into a brown cardboard box and uh, brown cardboard is a really bad acidic material and if you have something pressure that's precious that's right next to a brown cardboard box, it's going to deteriorate faster. Um, is it sitting right in a window? Um, if, you, if you hang something on a hanger and put it right in a, in a bright window where it gets a lot of sunlight during the day, it's going to deteriorate faster. So we try to protect things from um, both the uh, uh, light and energy and heat and water. And we also want to wrap them in, in nice materials. So fortunately, because um, hobbyists, you know, we have such a, a bunch of hobbies today of scrapbooking and collecting comic books and things like that. There are actually a lot of companies out there that will market materials that are supposed to be safe to have around your collectible materials. We call those things archival. We might also use the word acid-free. And so they make acid-free tissues, they make acid-free cardboards, and so if you have things in your house that are really precious to you, then you might want to think about getting some acid-free envelopes and an acid-free box or two and putting those things in there and then putting them into a part of your house where they're all protected from, from damage. And that's really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it off right there, Adam, and then if you all have any specific questions after everybody gets done with their uh, panel presentation, if you have a question about a specific heirloom that you have in your house or something that you collect that you want to know how to preserve it better, I'll be glad to come back up and, and answer some specific questions, okay? Thank you all. All right, and thank you for having me. My name's Brian Bertusi, and I'm the studio manager at uh, Kentucky Talking Book Library. And I'm not used to using a microphone. But you're doing fine. <laughs> but I'm doing fine. So... Um, they asked me to speak specifically on audio tapes and audio cassettes uh, for what to do to uh, preserve them and if you're interested in digitizing them. So uh, I started off with audio cassettes uh, uh, in high school and college. I made mixtapes for my friends. I'm a musician and so I was recording songs on a boombox for myself. I've got a, still got some shoeboxes under my bed full of audio tapes uh, that exist nowhere else in the world, and uh, these particular tapes nobody else cares about <laughs> other than me. So there's for my private use. 
I also have some cassettes that uh, are family heirlooms. We have some recorded uh, cassettes of my late grandfather speaking on the telephone, which are now the only recordings of his voice. And so my family has asked me to make a CD of these recordings for the family uh, in the past. Um, and so you know, a little more importance there. Um, I guess what I can say is that uh, at the Kentucky Talking Book Library, uh, we have used audio cassettes as well to send out uh, for talking books. Um, we've never recorded onto them as masters. We've always used uh, analog reel-to-reel -reel tape uh, when we were doing our analog recording, and then when we switched over to digital, now we do all of our recording on computers. But for about 30 years, our program recorded on uh, quarter-inch analog reel-to-reel -reel tape, um, and we have about uh, in excess of probably a thousand uh, reels uh, of re recorded talking books, uh, and we're in the process of digitizing those uh, into digital files that can be uh, sent out uh, on USB cartridges. The talking book cartridges are downloaded through the BARD program website. Um, so in our case, uh, we are digitizing them, but we also know that we've got quite a back backlog and we're not going to get through them all this year or even next year. So we have to think about how we want to store them as well and preserve them for the future, for a time when we will want to use them. Um, it's probably best to uh, try to get them into a digital form soon uh, because they will deteriorate. Uh, analog cassette tapes have a life expectancy of up to 30 years if you treat them well, um, but they're not usually regarded, they're, they're regarded as undependable for long-term stability, so you do eventually want to move them over to some other format. Um, as the speaker before me noted, the biggest uh, problems here are temperature and uh, humidity control. For audio cassettes, you want to store them about 65, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. A below, a below and above that range is damaging, and if the temperature fluctuates back and forth, that can damage the tape and shorten its life. Freezing is damaging, and so no attics or basements as well. Um, you want to try to store them, and when you're working on them, in a clean environment, so um, avoiding dirt or dust or cigarette smoke, keeping them out of strong sunlight or strong magnetic fields. Um, and one of the things about analog tape is that it stretches uh, over time, and so rewinding or fast-forwarding the tape so that it has got an even tension on the tape helps preserve it for longer, and it's actually recommended that if you want to keep something for a long time, you take it out every couple years and just play it or run it through, fast-forward and rewind it uh, to keep the tape tension on the spool good. Um, Storing tapes, we say that that's best to store them uh, audio cassettes vertically, and that keeps the weight of the of the uh, tape reel on the reel. Uh, for people who have large collections of tapes and they're trying to preserve them for a long time, we suggest that they use metal shelving instead of wood shelving, and if they're stored in boxes, to be stored in acid-free boxes. But I want to take you through a couple different scenarios real quick about. Uh, different types of levels of preservation. So if you have some cassettes that you want to digitize at home, the first thing that you can do is consider the source of the recordings. How important are they to you or to other people? Are they comprised of music or are they spoken word only? 
Um, are there for your own personal use or are these going to be archived long term uh, for future generations? Uh, and then what kind of equipment do you already have? How long are the recordings? Maybe it's just a recording of someone speaking for a few minutes. Maybe you've got hours and hours of material. So based on those things, you can start to make a plan for how you want to proceed. Um, if you're doing something simple for yourself, maybe one of the easiest solutions would be, uh, in almost all of these cases, you're, use, you're using a computer to digitize this data into a digital audio file. And there are prosumer things. You can go out on Amazon or go to the walmart.com website and just get what is basically a Walkman uh, uh, tape player that connects to your computer via a USB cable and that will automatically transfer the files you play them and it turns it into an MP3 uh, as it plays and it's meant to be very easy. So if you just have a few things, the sound quality on those is not always the greatest, but if that's not paramount to you, then that's probably the easiest, less st stressful way to do it yourself. You can also call and get, uh, see if there's a service in your area that will do transfers for you. I know that uh, in our archives, uh, our librarians have used uh, Media Preserve to do their audio tape transfers and screensavers to do their video transfers, and those are, uh, I think, local to Frankfurt. I also know that Dynamix Studios in Lexington does uh, transfers where you send them off the tapes. I think it's about $15 a cassette, and they'll do some no a light noise reduction and break the tracks up for you into segments. So that's nice. That way you don't have to worry about doing anything at all. But for people who have larger collections or they want to do more of the stuff hands-on to themselves, um, you're basically going to be using the computer that you have, and the first thing you have to do is figure out how you're going to get the audio from the tape into and out of the computer. Um, so hopefully you have a good quality tape deck that sounds good and has been well maintained. Um, and it's going to need to have an audio output on it. Um, usually that's going to be in the form of like a 1 8 inch cable, which is the same size as a headphone jack. And you take that cable and plug it into your computer. Most computers will have a line-in jack, which is usually blue on the back. Um, sometimes if they don't, you can use a microphone in which is usually pink on the back. Uh, the lion-in is better, gives you better quality. Um, and then in most operating systems, Windows and Mac, you use a control panel to adjust the level of the audio coming in to the computer, and you can use a software program to record that uh, signal for yourself. Um, if you're serious about audio quality and you want to make sure you're getting the best quality, you can also buy uh, an exterior box for your computer called audio interface, which has much higher quality inputs and outputs. Um, the input that you have maybe on a laptop uh, is p the part that does the audio input. It costs about two cents and it comes from China and it's just not a real super high quality. So if you want to do something that's archival, you'll want to maybe invest or find somebody who has a, an audio interface box. Um, as far as software recommendations, the one that I would recommend is a program called Audacity. It is a free open source uh, audio editor for Windows and Mac, and it works well with JAWS. Uh, it has a downloadable script that comes with it, as well as Windows Eyes and NVDA. 
and uh, we, I would just generally recommend recording in what's called CD quality. And you don't have to remember these numbers, but if you go online and Google what is CD quality, it's the same settings that CDs are recorded at, just 44.1 kilohertz, 16-bit. Um, but that's easily findable. You just Google it, and, and you can match those settings when you set it up. Um, something to think about is that uh, recorded audio, if you have a lot of material, it can start to create large file sizes. So uh, CD audio is something called a WAV file, and that's uncompressed audio. And it takes about 10 megabits per minute of recording there. So if you're going to do hours and hours of recording, you want to think about how much space you have on your hard drive. Um, if it's spoken word only and quality is not super important to you, you could choose to record an MP3 instead, which is about one-tenth the size. But it is a lossy format, and it uh, does not have as good of an audio quality. So MP3. Loss. Lossy. So it's, uh, what it does is, in order to get the file size that small, to reduce it one-tenth of the way, um, audio people know that the human ear hears different frequencies at different levels, so you can rip out a lot of really low frequencies and a lot of really high frequencies that we won't pick up anyway, and our ear won't really miss them. And so that's what it does, is that MP3 rips out all those frequencies where they think that we'll miss it the least, but you can still hear a little bit of it has been taken out. So if you really want to have the best quality, you want to go ahead and use the uncompressed, the WAV file format. If saving space is the biggest concern though, MP3 could be a way to go. Um, the Audacity is good because it gives you some basic audio editing functions, so if you have some silence at the beginning or end of your clip, you can go in there and delete it. Or if you want to go in a little bit more and take out some coughs or some silent space in the middle of phrases, you can do that as well. Um, one of the biggest things about re uh, recording cassette uh, audio is that it's very noisy. There's a lot of hiss, tape hiss in it, and Audacity does have a noise reduction feature that you can also run uh, to reduce some of that hiss. So when you export it, I think it's always good to put uh, your file somewhere that's easy to find on your desktop or some other part on your hard drive where you can remember where the files go. And may, may I just see a show of hands? How many people in here uh, use computers and use a, a screen reader? Okay, so that's a fair number of you. Um, so you might already have a strategy about where you keep your files, but I, I recommend creating a, a separate file for your audio downloads or exports so that you can keep them all in one place. And then, of course, we all know that Computers also have a limited lifespan and that they die, usually at bad times. So ultimately, if you want to have digital copies of your stuff, you'll want to think about how to back that up. Um, you can either burn CDs and have a physical copy of them that way, of the files. Um, more and more people are using cloud storage uh, for backing up files remotely. Um, even if you just have a CD and you, if it's very precious to you and having it in a stored in a different location that protects it from being lost or being stolen or damaged or destroyed by fire or, uh, or by flooding. Um, and so that's basically 
the process of it. Um, the good news is that there's lots of tutorials and information online. Um, it can be a little challenging to uh, get over the hump of setting up a system, so if you can find somebody who is knowledgeable in that, that's always a big help. Um, if you just want to do one or two things though, it might be easier to just go and have it done professionally for you at a, at a local recording studio. So at that point, uh, does anybody have any questions about a specific recording that you have? I have some cassettes that I'd like to get uh, digitized. Uh, do you know, other than like computer programs and things like that, I know there's uh, devices out there that you can, I think that you're supposed to be able to transfer cassettes onto CD. Uh, have you used one or could recommend one? I haven't uh, used one specifically, Debbie. Um, what's on the cassettes? Are they music or are they uh, people speaking or? Both. Both. Honestly, for the if it's music um, and it's available as sort of like a download, like an iTunes download or something, sometimes it's cheaper to just buy new copies of it and you'll end up with right. nicer quality. But if it's something that's unique that can't be purchased commercially, um, then yes, I think that there are devices, you kind of see them like in Best Buy and uh, the Office Max and stuff, uh, where they do a transfer. Um, that's sort of similar to what I was talking about. They'll, you can buy a little Walkman with a USB cable that plugs into your computer and it sort of automates the process for you. You hit play on the player and it will record it as an audio file. And then I guess the extra step you're talking about is you can then take those audio files and burn them as a CD. Uh, Brian, I was going to ask you, um, Walkman, that just sounds like the Dark Ages, but it's, it's feasible to find that? Yes, I mean, if, if you have audio cassettes, mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll still have a cassette player at home uh, mm -hmm. that you use to play them. Mm -hmm. If not, um, I think that you can still buy them on Amazon or probably, at Walmart, but it's c getting pretty skinny. Yeah, probably it's, eBay, maybe, but yeah. it's really hard. To, and you I, specifically mean a Sony. That it, it can be it can be any brand player. I think that's just kind of like a brand name. It is. Yeah. Walkman means everything, just like Xerox means. Exactly. <laughs> yes, and Jello. <laughs> I had a question back here. I'm I'm curious um, about the best way to transfer to digitize vinyl, mm -hmm. like old record albums. Any suggestions on that? Once again, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're primarily looking for like high quality audio fidelity for music, then once again, it might be easier to just purchase a newer copy of it rather than ex the expense of doing the transfer would be greater. However, if it's something that you want to capture in that particular format, there are also record players that you can buy that have USB connections that will plug into your, uh, into your uh, computer to produce files for you. I would say before you purchase one, read the user reviews because some of the cheaper models don't really have a great audio quality. Um, and so you might want to make sure that just if you're going to have a lot, you do a lot of that type of work and it's worth buying one in, getting one that has good reviews for, for audio quality. Because they, they make some of those, the real cheap ones, the ones you get for $50, like at uh, 
Brookstone at the mall. They're not very good. Okay, well, if anybody has any other questions about this, I'll be available after the panel. Thank you so much for having me. Want to read digital talking books, download podcasts, and make superb recordings all while on the go? Now you can with APH's Bookport Plus. Its small size, quality recording, and unique capabilities make Bookport Plus an ideal replacement for earlier digital talking book players or inaccessible commercial recorders. Call the American Printing House for the Blind toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar On November 22, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a Thanksgiving gathering from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway, in Lexington. Call 859-259-1834 for more information. On November 25 is Families Day Open House at the American Printing House for the Blind. 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, play games, and read books designed for children who are blind, and enjoy many other activities in the award-winning museum. See Denver the Guide Dog, a Discovery Channel video about how a puppy becomes a dog guide and is matched with a new owner. Holiday goodies and hot cider will be served for all ages. For more information, call the museum at 502-899-2213. On November 26, ACB families will have its peer support group meeting for the month on the conference line at 712-432-3900, enter code 796096. The time is 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On November 27, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana have their November conference call at 7 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On December 1, there will not be a roundabout. No roundabout on December 1. December 2 is the Holiday Card Ornament Factory from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Visit the Museum at the American Printing House for the Blind to learn how people who are blind and visually impaired see with their fingertips. Then craft your own tactile ornament to decorate your home for the holidays. Make unique holiday cards as well. Free, but space is limited. Best for adults and children ages 6 and up. Registration is required. Call the APH Museum at 502-899-2213 to register. Also on December 2 is Christmas with the Council. Doors open at 4 p.m. and activities begin at 4.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. KCB chapters participating in the Christmas party will provide an evening of fun, food, and good friends. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will provide the food. KCB Next Generation will handle the game. Tri-State Library users is in charge of the Christmas story. Guide Dog users of Kentuckiana will be handling the music. And the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision is in charge of the children's activities. Plan to attend. There will be a bargain table, Santa will be making a visit, and there will be a home-cooked Christmas dinner. 
$5 per person. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. Be sure to let us know who will be attending with you. Your family and friends are welcome to attend. The evening winds up at 9 p.m. On December 3 is the 6th Annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern Time until all items are sold. The auction will be live-streamed on five ACB Radio channels and on ACB Radio's Audio Now telephone service. You can listen on your computer through the ACB Link iPhone app, on TuneIn, or on your telephone. It's an opportunity to bid on items including food, jewelry, technology, and much more. Visit www.acb.org and follow the link to see our auction preview page available by November 20. The auction benefits ACB Radio. On December 5, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next conference call meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line. Great for those who are just beginning to experience vision loss or for those who have had vision loss for several years. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. December 6 is the next meeting of the KCB PR Membership Committee meeting on the same conference line at 8 p.m. 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. December 7 is the Bluegrass Council of the Blind Christmas Party from noon until 3 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington. Don't forget to bring a dirty Santa gift. The BCB office is at 1093 South Broadway in Lexington, RSVP at least two days in advance by calling 859-259-1834. On December 7, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its December conference call. This is a monthly meeting for blind lions from around the country. It's an opportunity for us to share ideas and ways to be involved in our local clubs. Our special speaker on the December call will be Katie Howe, who is a lion in Illinois and who attended the 100th anniversary celebration of LCI. The call is at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The dial-in number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. December 8 will be the GLCB Roundabout. There will be education and technology activities from 3.30 to 5. An opportunity to cut it up from 5 until 6. Lessons in cutting all types of different materials. Dinner from 6 to 7, $5 per person, and bingo beginning at 7 p.m., $2 per person. You're also invited to play cards, if you'd like, beginning at 7 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries on State Street in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On December 9, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its board meeting for the month at 11 a.m., by conference call at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. December 10 is the KCB Next Generation meeting at 8 p.m., also on the same conference line. December 12 
is the Savvy Christmas Party in Owensboro from noon to 2.30 p.m. Join Savvy for dinner, Dirty Santa gift exchange, $10 limit on the gifts, and more at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. On December 12th, there will be a presentation on the ORCAM at the Bluegrass Council of the Blind in Lexington from 1 to 2 p.m. at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway. RSVP at least two days in advance at 859-259-1834. December 14 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. in Louisville at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information and to register, call 502-895-4598. December 15 is the GLCB Roundabout, 3.30 to 5, Education and Technology, 5 to 6, Discussion, 6 to 7, Dinner, $5 per person, and after dinner, there will be holiday music. To sign up, call 502-895-4598. On December 17 is the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Board Meeting, at 8 p.m. and December 18, the KCB monthly board meeting at 7.30 p.m., both on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On December 22 and December 29, GLCB invites you to share the holidays with friends at our very informal roundabouts. We'll be there beginning at 3.30, and you can just drop in and share some holiday fun with everyone. We'll be answering your iPhone questions if you have them. We'll also have dinner at 6 p.m., and you can play games, share craft ideas, and just visit with friends. Give us a call to let us know if you'll be attending. 502-895-4598. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.